Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Revenge travel, that's a term many of us would be familiar with. Having endured a prolonged period of travel restrictions and limitations during the COVID pandemic. Now that being said, and since it's the June holidays, what do you think are some of the popular travel destinations this year? Well, off the top of my head, I think it's got to be maybe Japan because of the attractive yen. Maybe even countries like Europe, like Italy or France. But man, I think it's probably going to be pretty hot during this time of the year. So why am I bringing this up today? Well, because today on Money and Me, we will be looking closer into Mastercard's latest Economics Institute's Travel Industry Trends 2023 report, which provides interesting statistics on the behaviors of travelers in Singapore, as well as in Asia-Pacific region, including the notable increase in leisure travel and how the preference for experiences over things persists. So without further ado, Let's welcome on the show David Mann, the Chief Economist at Asia Pacific and Middle East Africa at the Mastercard Economics Institute, to share with us some of the key insights of the report and the significant changes that are shaping the travel ecosystem as we know it. Good morning, David. How are you doing today? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Wonderful. Now, David, just as an icebreaker, before we get started, what would you say are some of your top popular travel destinations of this year? Well, I think the ones you mentioned uh, are absolutely uh, on that list and uh, particularly places like Japan, as you mentioned, the factor of the exchange rate mm. move that we've seen over the last few years does make a difference in making it more attractive. And it is interesting, as you mentioned, this uh, the demand being so strong. Uh, it fits in really with the bigger picture we've been seeing from consumers all over the world where the main things they have had a preference for continually since COVID restrictions came off has been all the things they could not do at all during the pandemic. And top of the list absolutely was travel. And I would say the places that are more unusual, uh, that they missed the most that they used to go to and they couldn't go for a while, that's been top of the list. Mm, Interesting. Thank you so much for that, David. Now let's dive right into the Mastercard Economics Institute's fourth annual travel report. It's titled The Travel Industry Trends 2023, which explores today's traveler, the impact of mainland China's reopening on global tourism, new and consistent travel destinations, the pace of business travel recovery, as well as how travelers are spending. Now, David, what are some of the key highlights of this report and what surprised you? Well, the first thing I would say is that this preference has been quite interestingly for even more of a recovery in spending on experiences. Mm. And this fits in with what you would expect in a post-COVID world where we were able to still be buying goods online. E-commerce was doing very well during COVID restrictions. And then as we came out of it, uh, we were seeing more of an interest in the experience in living now and in going out and about, uh, and particularly on international travel where possible. Now, we did know, even before running through the details of the report, that we would see uh, higher cost of travel, and that is indeed what has been the case. Uh, But it also has been coming alongside this large pent-up demand. There's plenty excess savings uh, in the economy, including uh, in most advanced economies, including Singapore, and that still is the case today. And particularly for uh, the mass affluent and the affluent consumers that have been accumulating, uh, we believe, uh, a larger portion of this, though it is uh, still uh, spread throughout the economy, they have been the ones most interested or most uh, willing and able to uh, go on those trips and and take those flights. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, the recovery of course, does depend on where the supply comes in, and that is continuing to improve. 
Uh, and the other factor we should not forget uh, as we look through the details of this report uh, is that we've been seeing uh, particularly the recovery of travel from mainland China has been a bit slower mm-hmm. so far yeah. uh, internationally, but that is going to likely be a, an ongoing positive in terms of the recipient economies. Thailand comes to mind, but Singapore too, spread throughout the rest of this year and even through 2024. Right. Very interesting. Thank you so much for that. Now, before we dive into China, why not talk to us about the significant changes uh, that, you know, you've, you've mentioned about the significant changes we're seeing in the travel industry since the pandemic, right? So how are these transforming the sh- and shaping the overall travel ecosystem then? The big challenge has been because uh, of the impact of the pandemic has been this relative l- uh, lack in supply. Yeah. Now, what- that's the physical number of airplanes that are uh, able, able to take off uh, all the way through the, the various uh, maintenance requirements and, of course, the equipment supply and supply chain disruptions of the past feeding through. Uh, or it was indeed also just as important on the physical number of people available in the industry, in particular in the airline industry, the supply of engineers and pilots uh, and flight attendants, uh, but also in the in the hospitality industry more broadly uh, to get the the resumption uh, of enough hotels back up and running the supply side on that front to be improved too that has been a challenge so the main challenge that we've noted in the industry has been really on just finding uh, enough supply to meet the extremely strong pent-up demand that is still there and lasting we would expect throughout next year at least and that's even in an economy uh, that is seeing other parts uh, weakening off. And uh, a good example of that, for example, is goods exports uh, that has weakened since late last year, mm. having booming in the previous few years. Wow, interesting. The need for supply and the supply crunch. Well, that being said, I think that's one one factor that we, that we can't ignore when it comes to traveling or spending money, in fact, and that's inflation. You know, like persistent inflation and higher interest rates have strained many household budgets and, you know, consumers are shying away from maybe making big purchases as well. But how do you see this, you know, implicating the worldwide travel industry so far? The is inflation coming lower than it was, mm. uh, but the challenge is, or the key question really is just how quickly will it be coming down? Mm. And on that front, uh, answering that question is uh, a tricky one in the circumstances of knowing that with these shortages and insatiable demand, we have been seeing uh, rising wage costs, rising wage demands, uh, and therefore that needs to be passed on and it has been passed on. The longer you get inflation staying higher, the more sticky it can be and the more persistent it can be above levels that central banks around the world are comfortable with. So alongside the challenge of higher costs is also the higher cost of funding, higher cost of capital, higher cost for, for for example, paying uh, on your mortgage. Mm -hmm. And so these are extra factors that we have to take into consideration that are the side effects from that pickup uh, in that demand that had been uh, relatively insatiable uh, in the last few years and is still quite insatiable, particularly, as I say, in the travel industry. So that probably means uh, that you will have to see a bit more of a compromise uh, from folks who have decided, actually, the cost of travel is, is expensive right now. I'm mm. going to delay my, my, my decision to, to go abroad. And they're doing other things, too. There's folks who either they may choose a staycation instead or just other experiences uh, that involve uh, having to, say, take a long haul. 
built you know, has been uh, up or is up in costs relative to 2019. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, any numbers can stop us from exploring the world. Now let's take it over to China and discuss whether its great reopening is living up to expectations. Now at the beginning of the year, the economists described the unsealing of China's borders as the biggest economic event of 2023. And at a time, many investment strategists as well as market commentators took a similar view. They predicted that the sudden end to the three years of self-imposed isolation would, after an initial period of turbulence, lead to a sharp recovery that would provide a much-needed counterweight to the monetary tightening-induced slowdown we're seeing over in the US and Europe. But three months on, the impact of China's reopening, both at home and abroad, has been less dramatic than anticipated. So, why not share with us, David, what are you seeing and hearing from the ground and to what extent do you see China's reopening having an impact on global tourism? Well, the way to look at this is that there has been, to start with the tourism sector first for China, there has been a strong recovery in China's domestic tourism. It's a more or less full recovery of the volume of available flights uh, compared to 2019. Mm. By comparison, we are well, well behind compared to uh, what you might have thought uh, for the recovery of international travel. Now, the thing to bear in mind is that in the run-up to the COVID pandemic, we had been seeing uh, the services account in China, the balance of payments for services was getting into a bigger deficit, a, bi- a bigger uh, a negative number as a result uh, of the large and growing amount of outbound spending on a net basis by tourists uh, from China. Right. Now, if we think this through to today, in an economy where there is a priority on, on keeping uh, the economy strong and, uh, or trying to, to bolster it, and we've been seeing a completely different policy stance in China compared to what we've been seeing in the West or in most other uh, economies, uh, for example, somewhere like uh, Australia, where we've seen rapid interest rate rises, we've not seen the rise in inflation Uh, nor had we been seeing uh, the rate rises. Instead, it's supportive measures. And actually keeping tourists uh, inside the country spending domestically um, can be quite helpful in that regard rather than it being uh, a net outflow. Uh, So this is one part of the puzzle. Now, ultimately, we think it will be coming back. Mm -hmm. And another part, another factor that could play into this is uh, also on the exchange rate. If we move to a world uh, where the dollar is uh, not as strong as it has been, over the last, say, 18 months or so, then it can also uh, add to a bit more confidence on going abroad. Uh, and that could, be, uh, that could be one of the helpful factors. But we don't believe that there is uh, no demand there. There may be some caution, but I don't think it's quite the same story as, say, Japan, where we had seen the weak yen and what seems to be a relatively more uh, conservative and, and cautious approach to traveling abroad. Uh, we don't think that will be as much of a challenge in the case of seeing the recovery of mainland China tourists. But quite clearly, based on the present trends, this will be lasting throughout this year and next year on the recovery, which will mean it is an ongoing positive, Mm. uh, but we're not getting as much of the positive as quickly as some (laughs) had expected. Yeah, I think uh, we are just getting ahead of ourselves here and hoping for, you know, a sudden uh, turnover. Well, just a quote from your report, despite a love for shopping, you're expecting travellers from mainland China to spend more on experiences, just like what you've mentioned before, rather than things after a zero COVID environment. And luxury travel experiences, including splurging on high-end 
accommodations, luxury travel in places like France and Italy will likely entice tourists from mainland China emerging from a zero-COVID environment to rejoin the experienced economy. So which countries then are you expecting to be the main beneficiaries of mainland China's reopening? Yes, I would uh, think of this. uh, Certainly it is worth looking into uh, where we have already been seeing uh, some of the trend improvements uh, in uh, the in the number of bookings and flights, uh, Italy, for example, has been doing relatively well uh, on its flight recovery. So there are some individual corridors uh, over in Europe. Um, the other one that I think uh, should continue to be benefiting uh, in a big way is Thailand. Wow. Uh, and the reason I mentioned that is, uh, of course, just like most other economies in the region, China was always uh, the biggest single spender as a single tourist origin country uh, for Thailand. Mm. And uh, we know that also it is a pretty large portion uh, of the uh, total amount of, uh, of spending in the economy or GDP is made up for by uh, tourism itself. It's uh, probably over 6% of Thailand's own domestic annual consumer spending wow. is what we were seeing tourists from mainland China spending back in 2019 in, in the economy. So that one, even though it is still a, a, a overall slower recovery, uh, we've seen enough flights making a comeback uh, that that should be quite impactful in a positive way for Thailand, helping to really counter uh, the external weakness, as I say, that we had been seeing in the goods exports, uh, which, of course, is very relevant for uh, the Asia-Pacific region as a whole. Mm, Very interesting. Thank you so much for that, David. Now, your report also found that the list of top 10 destinations has changed for this year. So, the question remains, what are travellers looking to explore or where are travellers looking to explore today? I think if we think about the experiences part of the recovery, mm. I think that really fits in with the story of people had the ability to spend on retail goods uh, during the pandemic. We even saw, for example, various luxury brands did very well in places like China, yeah. uh, partly because tourists were not traveling abroad to, say, parts of Europe to go and buy those goods. Mm. Uh, now, if we think of where we are today, uh, the main preference, if it is also the higher spending consumers uh, that are filling up more of the airplanes and they're looking uh, and they already have bought the various things they were looking to buy. We already had, of course, during the pandemic, uh, the, the strength of demand for various household goods as a result of what was a housing uh, market strength um, mm. and also more work from home stories. So even more demand for for, for things that were related to working from home or being entertained more in the home. Think bigger TVs or, yeah, I'm going to replace that uh, fridge or freezer. Um, but now it's more a case of, well, okay, I'm going to go abroad, but what's the special thing I can do? And I think the preference yeah. for the experience that you get from, say, going somewhere special in Australia or in Japan or indeed visiting Hong Kong and uh, going up to uh, do the many walking trails, mm-hmm. uh, going to some uh, restaurant that you've always been wanting to go to, uh, yeah. say, over you know, parts of, of the, even the U.S. Um, these sorts of things are, are we're seeing quite clearly as a, as a preference uh, that is really grabbing people's attention uh, in terms of what they want to be doing next when they're traveling. Uh, and, uh, of course, the availability is one thing. Uh, but I think that, that that worry is still in the back of people's minds, even though it's a tiny probability, uh, I think, for people, mm-hmm. uh, that there is the possibility of COVID coming back or something else happening where they may be restricted again. And therefore, they decide, I'm going to go do that now. I'm mm. not waiting. And I think that seize the day type mentality 
is also quite clearly uh, something that has emerged and is looking likely to stick in most cases when it comes to what people want to do uh, with their free time. Yeah, interesting. Thank you so much for that, David. And some of the the countries, uh, the countries that you've mentioned or your report is highlighting, uh, places in uh, Mexico or perhaps even Asia Pacific like Hong Kong or Spain and Italy in Europe, as well as the Middle East and Africa as well. And yeah, it's like what you've mentioned. I think especially when we have uh, you know like apps such as TikTok, you know, and people are constantly posting a lot of local things to do, and when people have access to all these kind of kinds of information it becomes a little bit more enticing and easier to see what what would um, attract us to visit the country so talk to us about the shift then in travelers behaviors and um, what else do you think is contributing to the shift in emphasis on experiences like travel over things well i think the key thing uh, to to also note is that even uh, that there is another difference Uh, firstly on on the travel over things um, it's not that there is no recovery uh, on, on, on retail spending by consumers when they travel abroad. Mm. But what we're watching for is for the economies such as, say, China, where typically, historically, there would have been a lower portion of the wallets that they were spending going on uh, the hotel or restaurants uh, rather than more of it going on to, say, restaurants. Uh, sorry, going into retail. Uh, that probably... Uh, or that looks like so far it is the case that the ratios have got a bit more balance. So there are more signs of even uh, folks who are traveling from places where they typically would have been uh, over-indexing on spending on, say, retail, uh, going a little bit more in the direction of the experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, the other factor that I think is worth uh, bearing in mind is that we've also been seeing, uh, at least uh, that this is just an- anecdotally, um, that there are, there's some, a decent amount of willingness Uh, by some consumers, when I say on grabbing uh, the moment and just enjoying every part of when they go on holiday, including the flight, uh, where they're also opting for, uh, say, business over economy uh, when they're flying. So while there is uh, some challenge from cost consolidation uh, that comes through this inflationary environment for corporate travel, uh, and it has also, to be fair, recovered quite strongly as well, but there may be some consolidation because of the high cost longer term, mm-hmm. uh, you can see uh, that actually the, the front of the plane is also getting filled with those looking for the experience of uh, going in, in you know, the, play, the seats with the bigger legroom and, and, and with, uh, with, with a different food options. <laughs> uh, when they get there also, the hotel, the choice of hotel, the preference for it, and therefore you can see through the cost of the higher star hotels is also uh, feeling some impact from all of this. So it does fit uh, with that trend of, uh, well, let's, uh, I, I was able to still buy things during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The pent-up savings is clearly there and being used up. And I think that the way to think, well, where did the savings come from is that over the years of not spending on travel during the restrictions times, uh, that was a decent portion for a lot of people of their disposable income was going on travel. So to have a few years of not doing it, even if you were spending slightly more than usual on retail goods, you still had some left over uh, to be able to spend on these other options. And quite clearly, that's what we've been seeing in in the patterns from around the world, including in the Asia-Pacific region. Oh, yes, 100%. Thank you so much for that, David. Now, taking a broader look at things now, how do you, th- how do you see the macroeconomic environment reshaping tourist spending behaviors? The way that I would think about the tourism element in this is that it still has these enormous tailwinds. So while there are huge headwinds and tailwinds that are impacting the global and region and and even Singapore's economy right now, uh, the higher costs, higher uh, interest rates, uh, but the excess savings being used and the the sudden uh, ability 
uh, to be able to do a lot more things than you could do before, uh, that does suggest that even in a weaker overall GDP growth environment, that the components linked to entertainment, to travel and hospitality will still uh, be outperforming. Uh, and I think that desire to go out and about, even, for example, uh, when it comes to the uh, to, to the retail space, uh, when we've been looking at what people have been uh, looking to do in terms of spending on e-commerce uh, versus in-person spending, the mm. experience of going out, uh, perhaps spending time with your friends, maybe then uh, eating and getting something to eat together, uh, that, that physically going out and about has been uh, the, the absolute trend that's reinforced, I think, for most retailers in their minds, that they really should be focused on the omni-channel presence. That, yes, you, 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 you want to have the online and on, offline offering, yep. but the offline offering, the one that's in person with the experience linked to it, even for retail, is absolutely what consumers really want. And that works also for travel, uh, that they want those experiences of going out and about. And uh, I think that, ex- that preference to do it can, uh, a lot more than maybe even was the case before, may be quite sticky in the next couple of years because of the impact of, the, of being in this post-COVID world. That was quite fascinating. Thank you so much for that, David. It's been such an enlightening interview so far. But before I let you go, why don't you share with us your outlook of the future of the travel industry? I would say the main issue with the travel industry is all about the supply side. So mm. if uh, enough supply can come online, the demand coming from folks who may not yet have even been able uh, to take an international trip because of uh, the supply constraints and, and some of the cost constraints, Uh, There is still plenty of that pent-up demand uh, to be used up, uh, particularly uh, coming uh, in terms of demand from uh, Singapore, but uh, as we've been seeing across uh, the region, particularly uh, in uh, the advanced economies where there was even more of this uh, excess savings that had been built up. And that preference to go for experiences over things looks like it will be sticking. Uh, mm. and, uh, and and that, I think, is, is likely to last for the next couple of years. Needing to meet demand. I suppose that's a good problem to have. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, for, thank you so much for joining us this morning, David. Thank you. We've been speaking to David Mann, the Chief Economist at Asia Pacific and Middle East Africa at the MasterCard Economics Institute, talking about the key findings of the MasterCard's latest Economic Institute's Travel Industry Trends 2023 report and the significant changes that are shaping the overall travel ecosystem. Continue to keep it right here with us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.